Well, we're going to go ahead and continue on in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're on our, our sixth week, and uh, next week you guys get a break with, with Dean Braxton, and we'll get right back on it. And then you'll probably get another break, um, early, uh, I think uh, probably in May we'll start going. Uh, every, every year we do the culture of Living Hope Family Church, who we are, and that's the, on our anniversary, which will be coming up. Uh, April 29th is our four-year anniversary. Can you believe that? It's coming up quick, so uh, you'll get a break then. But uh, otherwise, we might be in Corinthians for the rest of the year. But it's, uh, it's good stuff, so we'll just keep going with it. Hallelujah. So last week, if you guys will recall, we looked at um, what Paul was, was really doing, the work that Paul was doing, and, and really the work that we should be doing, right? We're, we're here to build the church of Christ. That is our mission. We are to go out into the world and, and preach the gospel. We're to make disciples, to build this church, and ultimately to repeat that cycle, right? And that's what our mission is as a church as well. We want to go out and evangelize the lost. We want to equip the saints, and we want to empower them to go out and do the same things themselves. And but we need to make sure, like Paul was saying, that if we're doing that, that we're doing it on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. We're not doing it on, you know, the, the great uh, ideas of, of Pastor Wayne, because truthfully, my ideas usually aren't all that great, and uh, we, we would just fail if we did it that way. We're not to do it on, you know, the, 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 the 12-step program of how to plant a church and get a lot of people there. We want to make sure that our church is founded on a solid basis, basis of the Word and Jesus Christ, and that's where we're going. That was what Paul was saying, is that we need to make sure that that's the foundation we're built on, not the foundation of some great teacher, some great speaker, some great program, some great plan, but just on his word and his word alone. And, you know, as, as I look back on, at, our, at what we've done here, we, don't, we haven't grown as fast as other churches. But the people that are here have a firm foundation. We have a solid idea of what we're doing. We're here to serve God. This isn't just a, a Sunday morning, come in and, and mark your check for the week and come back next Sunday. I mean, we're involved. And, and, and as we heard this morning, it's, we're a family and we're working together. And that's what we want to maintain as we move forward. And the way that we do that is we maintain Christ as our foundation. Amen? And the reality is, is, that, is that one day our work is going to be tested. And the question will be, will it stand the test of time or will it have been all for nothing? And if Christ is our foundation, we can be sure that it won't be all for nothing. It will be to stand the test of time because that's the one thing that we can take with us as souls and the people that we share with and have an impact on. Now this week we're going to actually start with what should have been the, the end of last week, but we didn't quite make it to it there. But we're gonna, Paul's going to begin speaking on wisdom again. And I think you'll notice that, that at least once every message so far, Paul, Paul is dealing with the, the uh, contrast of the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. And once again, he does it again. And this is a reoccurring subject, I think, for two reasons. One, I want to, this is an important subject to God. Anytime we see stuff over and over in the Bible, we can know that it's important to God. He wants us to get it. He wants us to understand it. But two, I think it's in here a lot because, let's face it, we're all just stubborn and prideful so much of the time. And we think that, God, God, give me a second, God, and let me show you how it should be done. God, you know, I see what you're trying to do here, but it's just going to be too long or it's not the way that I would. So let me tell you how to do it, God. And we try to interject our wisdom, our ideas into God's plan. It's probably just me. You guys probably don't ever do that. But I think that's why we get this all the time is, hey, knock it off and understand that God's wisdom is going to be of a higher caliber than yours. Amen? 
So then after that, Paul is going to start dwelling into the idea of stewardship. And this is an idea I think that uh, particularly in the United States we're not entirely familiar with as well, kind of like the whole sowing and reaping. Unless you've been in church or you, you grew up in the Midwest, nobody knows what that actually means because we don't do that as a culture. You know, we have no, no grasp of, of, of planting something to, to make sure that we have food. We have no grasp of that. We just, you know, we go to work, we make money, we go to the store, we buy our food and, and repeat the cycle. So we don't really understand it. Stewardship is another one like that because we don't have stewards anymore. You know, the closest thing that we might have in today's common working world would be, you know, a manager of a company or a manager. They, they are actually entrusted to manage what is going on, but that's what a steward was. A steward was somebody that was entrusted to manage someone's estate. And they were typically the second most powerful person in that, in that, that, that area, that estate, depending on if it was just over a household or um, actually Joseph if you remember in Genesis chapter 39, he, he kind of went through, in Genesis chapter 39, he was dealt with, with uh, Potiphar. He was the steward of Potiphar's house. And then later on, he essentially became the steward of all of Egypt as he moved forward. But what it was, was that he was entrusted to manage all of that stuff. And with Potiphar, you know, he even says it clearly when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. And he says, you know, Potiphar's given me everything in his kingdom, everything except you. I have everything. I've been entrusted to manage all this while you're doing this. But that was what, are you having trouble hearing? Oh, I thought I saw him put his ear up there. I know last week we had, uh, is everybody here okay? You good to go? All right, praise God. What? (laughs) Get out! No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hallelujah. So, but that's the idea of, of stewardship, though, is that we're managing something that has been given to us. It's not ours, but we're entrusted to make sure that we do the right things with it. And, and what that is, is whatever our master or whoever is given to us, they, they're going to lay out what it is that we're supposed to do with what we've been entrusted. Amen? And in the end, Paul is going to be basically ministering on pride. And that the reality is that we shouldn't be puffed up in favor of one another. We shouldn't uh, uh, consider other people higher than others. And we shouldn't consider ourselves higher than others because we're aligned with certain people. Because the truth is, is that it's all been given to us. Everything that we have has been given to us. None of it is something that we've done on our own. So it's kind of silly to be prideful. Amen? So we're already way behind, so let's go ahead and get started. 1 Corinthians 3, 18-20 says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. This has always been a, a, a funny one to me. If a person thinks that he is wise, let him become a fool that he be, may become wise. That doesn't make any sense, at least when you look at it with earthly eyes. But basically what he's saying is, if you think you're wise in this age according to earthly standards, why don't you become a fool according to earthly standards so that you can actually become wise according to godly standards? Because the problem is the wisdom of this age gets in the way of all of that. We think that we got everything figured out ourselves. And thus far, the truth is is that most of this letter to the Corinthians has been contrasting and dealing with the differences of God's wisdom and man's wisdom. And basically, Paul's telling, he's admonishing the believers, he's telling these guys, stop kidding yourself. Stop fooling yourself. Basically, get your head out of your rear. 
Your parents ever told you that? This is what Paul's telling his kids right now. Get your head out your butt and understand that you haven't got it all figured out. You don't know everything. Remember he was talking about them being having spiritual milk instead of the, the food. It's like a teenager. When they know, I remember when I was a kid, my mom told me, you should, you should move out now and just start getting on with it while you know everything because there's going to come a point that you realize that you don't. It's funny. It's like this arc. You're like, I know everything, I know everything. And then the older you get, you realize how little you know. You finally understand it. And then you're like, man, my parents weren't so bad. They kind of had some stuff figured out, even though I thought I knew way more than them. But he tells them to stop fooling themselves. If you're wise by earthly standards, you're going to get yourself in trouble in the kingdom of God. And it's not that Paul's uh, telling them to abandon all reason. He's not telling them to, to, to just give up all, all wisdom. I mean, we still have to be wise in this world. You know, going ahead and putting all your trust in your, your retirement account is folly. But having a retirement account, that's wisdom. It's good to have one. You just don't want to have all your trust in that. We still trust in God. You guys see what I'm saying? You guys see the difference? He's not saying don't be unwise. Don't just live in this life as, as, as boneheads. But just make sure that that's not where your trust is putting. Make sure you're not counting everything on that. I mean, we saw what happened in this world when everybody put their faith in the stock market and, and, and the bubble burst, and people were committing suicide because they lost everything. But that's because their hope was in their, their savings account, and it wasn't in the Lord. Basically, he's warning them away of, of, of the Corinthians where you're always using rhetoric and debate and this idea that, that man could argue their way out of anything. And Paul, you know what? Knock that off. Because the truth is, God's way of thinking, God's wisdom is infinitely more valuable than anything that we can come up ourselves. Amen? And they were going to have to empty themselves to the pride in their human wisdom in order to be filled with God's wisdom. That's what he's saying here. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. And I've experienced this personally in my life. Many of you that have heard my story know this already, but my world fell down around me. Because I thought I could do everything. Everything I, I, I put my hand to, I was successful at. And I thought that was me. But even in my, my worst, God was still at work in my life. He had given me skills. He had given me abilities. But I thought it was me. According to earthly wisdom, I had it figured out. I was doing good. I had a good job, making good money. You know, we had a, a place to live. I was doing everything right. And then I think God finally just, like, I, sometimes I see God and she's like, oh, fine, do it yourself, give it a shot. And the next thing you know, we're in bankruptcy. My wife almost left me. Um, my life fell apart. I didn't even know. She was so frustrated. I didn't even know. I thought everything was still fine. But because I, had, I thought I had it figured out, according to earthly standards, I had, it, I had it going on. I was doing all the right things. But I wasn't. But because I was so wise, I couldn't see God's ways of doing it because obviously my way was right. And everything fell apart around me. And then it was finally when I said, all right, God, I'm giving it to you. You do what you're going to do. Then things began to come to change. My, everything began to change. From relationships, not only with my wife, but with my kids, with my son, with my, my mom. And my dad and my sister, all of that changed when I finally began to put my eyes on God instead of on my own abilities. 
And the truth is, is that today, I would much rather be considered a fool by the earth's standards, the world's standards, and wise than considered uh, wise by the world and a fool in God's eyes. Amen? 1 Corinthians three twenty one through 23, it says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. So what he's saying is, is that, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul, Paul, Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. What he's saying is, is that, Corinthian believers, you ought to not take pride in any particular man or woman or, or any other person or any leader that would come about, but instead understand that you already have all of this stuff that you're claiming that one person has or, or one person doesn't because it's yours in Christ. Instead, if you will put your eyes on Jesus and focus on Jesus alone, you'll realize that you have all of this stuff that you're attributing to somebody else. The phrase that everything belongs to you, where does it say that? For all things are yours, everything belongs to you. It just underscores the reality that we have everything because we have Christ. We are taken care of because we have Christ. And we don't need to attach ourselves to any one person for these things because if we're attaching ourselves to a person to gain something that Christ has already given you, you're kind of missing the boat. When, you're, when, you, when you go to a church and you get attached to a certain pastor and you begin to rely on him for your salvation instead of Jesus, you got a, you got a problem. Because we already have all of this stuff in Jesus. And we don't need to rely on a particular leader for any of that stuff. And the truth is, is that when we begin to boast about other people, leaders, and the stuff that they're doing, we begin to somehow align ourselves with them and attach ourselves with them and begin to attribute certain qualities and stuff that we have because of them, then we're actually limiting ourselves because Jesus will give us far more than any man will ever give us. Infinitely more. And when we limit ourselves to what we're going to receive by a person, we're going to miss out on so much because they can't give, they can't... You know, nobody was saved in Paul's name or Peter's name or, <clears throat> or Apollos' name. They were saved in the name of Jesus Christ. What's been accomplished here at this church is nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God and me just being willing to step out and all of you guys being willing to step out. And all that you've received from Christ has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Him. Amen? And the truth is, is that all this stuff that we attach to leaders, it already belongs to us. We don't have to get it from them because we get it in Christ. Because the truth is, they belong to Christ. We belong to Christ, and He to us. Amen? And Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 4.1, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So, right, we're coming out of that where he's saying, you know, you don't need to hold leaders up. You already have all this stuff. And he says, this is how you shouldn't. Now here's how you should behold the leaders that are serving you. He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries 
of God. He's still dealing with you. We shouldn't hold one man higher than the other, especially to boast in them or to stack them against one another, to say one is better than the other. Stop regarding them individually, but instead understand they're just servants of God. They each have their own assignment from God, their own purpose, their own mission. And they're just serving God in the way that they were designed to and instructed to. And leave it at that instead of comparing them to one another. And in this case, he's saying don't, don't regard them as servants of Christ in their, in their serving or regard them this way in their serving of Christ. Because no leader should become the focus of anyone's loyalty. At least not over the loyalty of Christ. And we see that today in churches all the time where the pastor is, is not preaching that Sunday, so nobody shows up. Because the truth is, people came to see the pastor and not to see Jesus. But instead, we must ensure that we're following Jesus Christ alone. I pray that that's something that never happens here, because there will come a day when there will be opportunities for me to minister somewhere else, or, man, just for me to take a vacation. <laughs> when I got somebody that can come up here and, and make sure the music's taken care of and the preaching's taken care of, And I pray that I never have to hear that, oh, you weren't here, so half the people didn't show up. Because that's a real problem. That means the people were coming to see me. And I realize I'm I'm a good-looking man. (laughs) And I understand it to an extent, but, I mean, you really should be coming here to see Jesus. (laughs) See the abuse after? She just just called me dumb, my wife. This is what I have to deal with. (laughs) Hallelujah. And the truth is, is that Paul used Apollos and Peter and himself as the examples, but this goes for the church today. It wasn't just them. And the truth is, is there's no leader that, that has supernatural powers, at least in and of themselves, unless they're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, which, once again, is not them. It's, it's God. And nor is the doctrine that we teach our own. Matter of fact, if you ever find a pastor that's teaching their own doctrine, I would turn around and run away. Their doctrine needs to be found based in the word of God. The truth is, it's all Christ and they're just serving him. So how can we lift up one higher than another when they're all pointing towards the same end? And the, because the glory and honor is always God's, not, not our own. And then he goes on to say that they're also stewards of the mysteries of God. This is what we talked about, being stewards. They're, they've been entrusted with something that they have to manage. And a steward is one who owns nothing, but just manages what's been given to him. All these leaders, none of us own this stuff. We've been given this stuff to manage for Christ, to, to share the gospel. And it's not just leaders. It's not just It's all of us. We're all stewards of what's been given to us, entrusted to us by God. And these mysteries of God, that's referring to God's wisdom in the message of the cross. If you remember just a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 2, 6-7, through 7, he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. It's just the message of the cross is the mysteries of God. You guys have heard me say it before. I actually can't stand the phrase, God works in mysterious ways, because he doesn't. Who, who God is and his purpose and his plan has been laid out particularly in Jesus, because Jesus is perfect. We know what God wants. We know what God's will is because we see it in his son, because Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. 
So that means that what Jesus did was what the Father wanted. What he didn't do is what the, uh, what the Father didn't want. So we can understand it's not a mystery anymore. It's been revealed to us. Now, I understand we don't understand it perfectly. And one day we're going to have our eyes open and see it perfectly. Instead of looking in a mirror dimly, we're going to finally see the reality of what it is. But it's not a mystery anymore. The scripture is pretty clear what God's intentions are, what he wants. And that's that he loves all of us. And that he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants us all to be saved. And that mystery has been revealed to us in his son. And we're entrusted to share that with others. We're stewards of these mysteries of God. And I think that we can all learn a couple of this. When we, when we read this, we have to always be sure to understand that, that all Scripture is profitable for teaching and rebuking and correction. We're to learn from this stuff. This isn't just for them. We're stewards as well. And we have to make sure that we don't fall into the same trap that the Corinthians did. We don't want to fall into that same place and begin to view our leaders in an ungodly way. Because that actually, like we said earlier, that limits us, that puts us in our, in our own little trap. And it doesn't just apply to leaders, like I said, because we're all servants. We're all stewards. And we have all been entrusted with great treasure, one which we carry in earthen vessels to share with everybody else. And we have a responsibility to manage what has been given to us. Not just the pastor, everybody in this room, Amen. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they may be found trustworthy. Other translations say that, that they must be found faithful. Interestingly enough, I must have two versions of the ESV on my computer and my, my, my thing because mine says faithful and this one says trustworthy. It's same difference. As servants that we've been entrusted with much responsibility, we have to be found faithful. What does it mean to be found faithful? It's to, to, to do what you've been entrusted to do, to do the things that you say you're going to do. When you've been given an assignment from God, do it. When you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. And the responsibility of the steward is to be faithful to his master. And that's important. That's actually an important thing to remember for all of us, not only leaders, but the responsibility of a steward is to be faithful to his master. And the reality is, is that a steward may not please the members of his household. It might not even please some other servants. But if he pleases his own master, he's a good steward. There are things that we'll all do in the stewardship of God that might upset certain people. They might upset others. They may not agree. But we don't answer to them. We answer to God. Amen? The same idea is expressed in Romans 14.4. He says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, or the Lord is able to make him stand. Who are we to pass judgment on another servant? Because they don't answer to us. And what we're still dealing with, if you remember, in the context of what we're talking about is, right, he was referred to Apollos. He's talking about the church leaders. Who are we to judge their effectiveness? And once again, this doesn't just apply to leaders, though. It applies to all of us. We're all required to be faithful to what the Lord has given us to do. I would argue personally that it's one of the most important qualities that a Christian can have. Probably second only to having faith is being faithful. 
Because the reality is, is that skill, talent, ability, that's a dime a dozen. You can hire that. You can train that. You can teach that. But faithfulness is a choice that we make. And faithfulness is infinitely more valuable than any of those things. I can tell you, in the church, when I'm working with people, I would much rather have someone that I can count on to be here every single Sunday or every single Tuesday for the worship team than to have somebody that's extremely gifted, but I never know if they're going to show up. Faithfulness is valuable. But getting back to the main issue, the, the problem was not here is, is Paul popular or is, is Apollos a better preacher than Paul? The main issue is, have Paul, Apollos, or Peter, have they been faithful to what they've been given by God to do? Have they been faithful to the work that God has assigned them? Jesus had the same idea in the parable that he told in, in Luke 12, 41 through 48. He said, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? For us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, then the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act accordingly to his will receives a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did, not, and did what deserved a beating, he will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. What he's saying is, is that we have a responsibility. And when you've been called by God, you have a, a, a requirement to be faithful. And the truth is, is that, like we said, one day we'll all stand before God and we're going to wonder, is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or, well, done? And he's going to, that's what we're going to have to answer. We're required to be faithful with what's given us. And if a servant of God is faithful in his personal life and in his home and in his ministry of the word, then he's a good steward. And that's what all of our goals should be, is to be faithful in all of those areas. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 4, 3-4, through 4, it says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. The Corinthians were battling over the preacher that they had judged to be best. In a lot of ways, we, we read this stuff and we begin to think about uh, people judging our, our, our sins or our failures or all these things, but he's talking about so much more than that. They were, they were judging people to be better than one another as well. And that's the judgment he's dealing with. He says, you know what? They're battling over these things. Who's better? Paul, Paulus, Cephas? Who's better? But Paul just dismissed, dismissed it all. Because the truth is, is their judgment is entirely worthless. Once again, I, I, I point you back to Romans 14.4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Because human judgment was worthless before God. That's human wisdom. 
human wisdom is always faulty compared to God's. How can we determine if one man's service is more important and more effective than another? That's something to actually think about. How do we determine that? Where did, we didn't give them the assignment. We didn't ask them to do what they're out there doing. We, don't, we didn't give them their call. So how can we judge if they're being effective or not? And this goes for success or failure. I mean, how can we say that the, that the person who is, who is pastoring a mega church of 10,000 is being more faithful and more effective than the pastor in his home with a Bible study of, of, of 10. they got a home church of 10. Because for all we know that, that the, the pastor in his home, that's what he was called to do and he's giving in his all and he's doing everything that God required of him. But the pastor in the mega church of 10,000, what if he was called to have a church of 100,000? But this is all he's done. We, we can't judge the effectiveness of another servant. We can't make that decision as long as they're walking according to the, to the word of God. They're not in, in, in gross sin. They're not doing all these different things that would, that would put them in contrast to the word of God. Who are we to say that they're not doing what they're called? And then after dealing with talking about the judgment of others, he begins talking about the judgment of myself. He says, he says I'm, it's a small thing for me that I should be judged by you or any human court. But he says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against me. He says, I don't even judge anything about myself. Paul knew that nothing was amiss in his life or his ministry. But then he goes, but the truth is, by that, I'm not acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. We can't even judge ourselves effectively. Because when, when Paul looked within... He could honestly say that I'm doing what I've been called to do. This is what the Lord sent me to do. This is what he had me to, uh, had me to do, and I'm doing it. But that wasn't what cleared his conscience. That's not what made him forgiven or free. Or holy. He, was, he had a clear conscience because the Lord had went to the cross for him and paid for him. It's not that he never messed up or he never failed or he always did the right thing. Man, it would be nice if I never messed up and never failed or always did the right thing. But even when I do fail, I don't have to have a guilty conscience. And neither did Paul saying the same thing because Jesus paid for those things. As long as we're getting back up, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And we're not accountable to ourselves. We're not, I mean, that's one of the worst things you can do is begin beating yourself up over your failures. It's because you don't have understanding that you've been forgiven, that the price has been paid. And I'm not talking about uh, a culture or a, a lifestyle of sin. I'm talking about the Christian who messes up. And when we do mess up, we should feel something because it's, a, it's in contradiction to our nature. We should be living without sin. We should be living holy. But when we do mess up, we have an advocate with the Father. And we shouldn't be, when we begin to do the, the whole guilty thing and beat ourselves up, all we're doing is putting our eyes back on ourselves and our sin instead of what Jesus has already accomplished inside of us. And as a result, we can say, I'm not aware of anything against myself. We can have no guilty conscience. But it's because it's the Lord who judges us, and he did it in his son, and that's why we're acquitted. And I want to make it clear, though, this, there, there's a fine line between understanding that and then the self-righteous know-it-all attitude. There is a difference in that. 
Just because you've been acquitted, just because you have a guilty conscience, doesn't elevate you to somehow a higher position than someone else either. Because the truth is, what did, we, what did we say earlier? It wasn't you who did it anyway. It was God. How can you take credit for something that, that God and God alone has done inside of you? That's just silly. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose, purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. You see, what was happening is, is that the Corinthian church had basically expended a lot of energy and a lot of fuss and muss over making judgments concerning their various leaders. Who was better? Who was worse? Who was a better preacher? I'm aligned with so-and-so. No, I'm aligned with so-and-so. And they were arguing and infighting with one another, and they're basically spending a lot of energy on stuff that they shouldn't have been doing. And Paul began to explain to them that God alone could judge the leaders because he alone knows their deepest uh, their, their deepest secrets and their private motives, and he knew what they were dealing with. So how can we judge who is better like we just said? Human beings can't do that, so we have to be careful not to jump to conclusions, particularly before the Lord comes, before we determine who is faithful and who is not. Who is, that's why I, I, I look at people, and I'll, I'll never, I can never say if somebody's saved or not. Now, I believe that there are indications of whether they've been really saved or not. But the truth is, I don't know their heart. God knows their heart, and that's what it's about. God sees into their heart. For all I know, they they may be just struggling, and they've been falling to their knees and asking forgiveness and failing over and over. And we look, oh, no, that person's doing all kinds of crazy stuff, so they're not saved. We begin to make judgments before before the time. And we begin to, to essentially try to take on the role of God, to do what's his job and not our own. How can we evaluate a person's effectiveness when we didn't give them their assignment? Because we can only see the outside, but God sees a person's heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We can't make an effective judgment of someone's faithfulness or effectiveness or salvation or any of that because we can't see into a person's heart like God does. So to pronounce judgment before the time, before the the Lord comes, is just an effort in futility. There's no point for us to be doing it. And the Corinthians who were passing judgment on Paul and the other leaders, like I said, they they were playing God and assuming themselves the privileges that only God has. We need to be careful that we're not doing that. Amen? But the truth is, it's so easy to make this mistake. I've done it plenty of times. It's so easy to misread a person or to misjudge a situation, especially because we're not operating with all the information. And this is why I believe it's so important that we see each other as God sees us. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the attitude we should take. Instead of seeing the outside, let's see Him how God sees them. As someone that God loves so much that He was willing to pay the price to give His Son for them. 
and recognize their value and, and that's what was paid for them, but also understand that, that as a result, they've been made brand new, that they're not who they were. And if we would see people like that, we would stop making these silly judgments and understanding who they are. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and we'll go ahead and end here this morning. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. So now Paul begins to remove Apollos and Paul and see. He begins to remove them out of the equation and makes it clear who he's addressing. Because Paul's words about God's ministers were merely illustrating the larger truth that believers ought not to make judgment against one another. He, he put, he put these, these, these leaders in place, Apollos and Paul and, and, and all of them, so that he could make a point and illustrate a point. Because apparently each faction that followed a different leader apparently was lifting themselves up higher than the other ones. It wasn't just about about honoring these leaders. It was about saying, no, I'm aligned with so-and-so, so I'm better than you. But no, I'm aligned with so-and-so, so I'm, I'm better than you. That was what was happening. There was factions and divisions, and it was tearing the church apart because somehow they all viewed themselves as higher than one another based on who they were following when they should have realized that we're all following the same person, Jesus Christ. So Paul asked the rhetorical question so they could see the silliness of their prideful positions against one another. He says, I've applied all these things to myself for your benefit that you may learn by us and not go beyond what is written so that none of you may be puffed up in favor against one another. He says, I've showed you the silliness of what you're doing so that you could finally knock it off. No one was better than anyone else. And everything that they had, every thing that they accomplished, every gift that they had received, they had received from, from God. And no one has the right to boast in anything. He says, Brothers, that you may learn by, to, by us not to go beyond what is written. What does he mean by that? He's saying, listen, the leaders in, in, in the house of God, God has already determined their requirements. And that's in, in 2 Timothy, I forget which chapter, but he says that a, an overseer is to be uh, uh, found faithful, he's to be found uh, hospitable, he's to be a husband of one wife, and they give the list of what an overseer is. So we don't get to make up the requirements. We don't get to say that this person is better than the other because this, this, and this, because that's beyond what is written. God has already given his requirements for the leaders of his church, so we can't elevate somebody else above another by, by introducing our own requirements. As I was reading and studying for this, I was reading through some of the commentaries, and one pastor wrote, you know, he's, he's part of teams that helps churches that are looking for a new pastor to hire a new pastor, and he asks them what they're looking for in a pastor, and he's always amazed by how much more the church requires than even what the Bible requires before they'll, they'll bring in another pastor. That's us making our own judgments to go beyond what is written. And then we get puffed up because my pastor is this and my pastor is... I mean, we do it today. We see it today actually all the time. Do you know how many denominations require that you have uh, go to, to, to seminary to, to get into the ministry? I can tell you right now that none of the apostles went to seminary. They were all regular people. They were fishermen and tax... As a matter of fact, some of them were pretty bad people. They were tax collectors. And, and God pulled them, or Jesus said, come follow me. And he trained them and he raised them up. 
That's one of the things here at, at Living Hope Family Church. The, the, the model and mentality that we have is, is, is you train under a, a someone else, and you, get, you raise up, you become discipled, and then we send you out. And planning a church is much like, like having a kid. There's no manual for it. You just get out there and do it. You figure it out as you go. You get the support. You ask for questions, but you're never ready. You just go for it. And there's no requirements other than what's in the Scripture, that you be found faithful, that you be a steward of what you have, that you are, 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 are operating in, 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 uh, with a moral compass and, and, and living holy as is required of the Word of God. And you step out because that's the only requirements. And that's a good thing for me because I didn't even graduate from regular college, let alone similar, similar seminary. <laughs> because the truth is no one has the right to boast about anything everything that we have is given to us by God and I'm going to end with this illustration and there was once a young preacher who said to his friend please pray that I will stay humble and the friend replied tell me what do you have to be proud about See, the thing is, is why would any of us regard any other person as superior? You know, sometimes I think our own biased opinions and all these things, they begin to somehow elevate ourselves higher than someone else. And the reality is, is that we always judge ourselves based on our best, and we judge others at their worst. The truth is, is if we just saw people as we ought, and viewed them as more important than ourselves. That's Philippians 2.3, you can read that. He says, view one another as more important than yourselves. So if we saw people as Christ, and Christ alone, and we viewed people as more important than ourselves, I think we'd be all right. I think we'd get past all these issues that are going on in here. Amen? So let's, re- let's resolve to be a people who do that. Let's view people as more important than ourselves and see Christ in them alone. And don't judge their successes or their failures. But instead, see them for what they are, as servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of God. And let's co-labor alongside one another and make an impact. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.